the Bible teaches clearly and unmistakably that there's one true living God. Yahweh, Jehovah, the great I am. And all the other gods are idols. They have eyes they do not see, ears they do not hear, and mouths they do not speak. This one true living God is, has made the choice in time and eternity to reveal himself as the Father, the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. People might ask the question, why would a person leave family and friends? Why would a person leave a good vocation to go where there's monetary gain, to go and work in places where there's really hardly any monetary gain? What would cause a person to leave family and friends, go to a foreign land? What would cause a person to get involved in a ministry in the States where, you know, uh, there's very little income, but yet they pour their lives out. They pour their lives out for these people and for the gospel of Christ. Why would they do that? You say, well, Brother Fred, we were commanded. You shall receive power and the Holy Spirit's come upon you and you shall be witnesses. I agree. And you say, well, he, he commanded us, go into all the world and make disciples. But I'm going to tell you the conviction that would cause a person to leave their mother and father and go another, to another land thousands of miles away in conditions that are very, not very conducive. and would cause a person to walk away from a great financial job or opportunity to, to go and labor in the fields here in America that are so needy and so great. I'm going to tell you what it is. It is the conviction, deep conviction, that Jesus Christ is the only way that a person can ever be saved. In other words, they realize that Jesus Christ had a supernatural birth. He was born of a virgin, conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit. They have the conviction that Jesus Christ live a sinless life. He's the Lamb of God without spot or blemish. And they have the conviction that Jesus uh, healed the sick, opened blind eyes, healed crippled legs, cast out demons, and that Jesus Christ touched the lives of a, of a thief named Zacchaeus and absolutely changed his life. He, he saved him. And a woman touched the hem of his garment. Jesus stopped and realized, and he ministered to her. And then there was the woman caught in the act of adultery. And the, Moses in the law said, stoner. And Jesus said, no. Let me, and let me say this. Those of you who are without sin, you cast the first stone. You see, it is the conviction of who Jesus is. The Son of God, who died on the cross in our place, was buried, and the third day rose again, and is alive today with having all power and authority in heaven and on earth. It is because of who Jesus is. And it is because that if a person dies without Christ, they die in their sins. They die in their sins. If they die without Christ, and they are eternally separated from God in a place called hell. 
Now, many people would say to us, you know, there are many roads to heaven. That sounds good, but it's a lie. There are not many roads to heaven. None whatsoever. You say, well, now, come on, Brother Fred. I mean, we got Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Wundus and all this kind of stuff. And they say, uh, listen, as long as you're sincere, as long as you're sincere, then, then that's all that matters. That's totally wrong. You know why? The Bible says it's wrong. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, then uh, you and I really don't have any basis to have a conversation. Because <laughs> everything I, I, I believe is in this book and everything I preach is in this book. And if he says, if, if this book says, says it, that settles it. You do know that, don't you? What this book says is not up for debate. You might want to debate it. But we know it is the word of the living God. And it's alive and powerful. See, the Bible says clearly that being sincere is not enough. Not, you can be sincere, but you can be sincerely wrong. In, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, I want you to notice what it says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. But I was sincere. I was sincere. He said, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that is the way of death. They were sincere, but they were sincerely wrong. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, he makes it absolutely clear. He says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death. You know, that is true of everyone in this room. God sets before us all along the way in our life. He said, here's life, but this leads to death. I've set before you the way of life and death, blessing and cursing. And this is what God says. Choose life. Don't believe the devil's lies. Don't go down the devil's path. He's a murderer, a liar, and a thief. He said, I call heaven to where? I've set before you a, a death and life, blessing and cursing. Choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So, because we know that Jesus Christ is the only way. That's why we go to the Ukraine or to Tanzania or Zimbabwe or Kenya. Or, what, that's why we go across the street. That's why we have the home of grace. That's why we have the mission of hope. That's why we have save a life, all these ministries. Because we realize, wait, the only hope for a person of ever being changed and transformed is through the power of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't believe that, you're wasting your time in whatever, whatever you do, even though it might have a Christian name on it. And so J Jesus made it clear in John 14, 6. So if he said it, I believe it. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. That is not hard to understand. But human intellect and human reason says, well, that just doesn't seem to be right. Oh, it's right. It's right. Because he's the only one that died for your sin. He was the only one that God raised from the dead. 
He can only, he's the only one that can take you from death to life and from darkness to light and give you hope. Oh, he says, Jesus, I am the way. I'm the truth. The devil's a liar. I'm the life. The devil's a murderer. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, you know, for somebody to deny that Jesus is the only way to be saved is they have no longer, they no longer believe the Scripture. They have chosen to write a Bible of their likeness. Because look at what it says in Acts 4.12. Now, you, you don't have to understand everything, but you can understand this. Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, we go to other countries around the world. We establish places like the Mission of Hope, the Home of Grace, and all these things. What, why? Because we know that Jesus Christ can forgive a person's sin, and that Jesus Christ can change a person's life, and that Jesus Christ can take them from darkness to light, and from death to life. And, and we understand the power of Jesus Christ. And, and, and we know the gospel is good news. By the way, you know, uh, Jesus himself said that um, uh, th there was a narrow road and a narrow gate. He said, I'm the way. There's no other name under heaven. But listen to this. Matthew 7, 13, 14. This is all in the word of God. It would help some of these people who think all roads lead to heaven. And as long as you're sincere, you're okay. It'd be well if they'd read the Bible. It would be very helpful. It says, Enter by the narrow gate. Hey, by the way, this is Jesus, the one who died for you, the one who died for me, the one who had our sins on him when he was on the cross, and the one who was raised for our justification. Hey, this is Jesus talking here. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. Wait a minute now. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. But then he turned right around and said, but wait a minute. Because narrow is the gate. You only go through one at a time. Nobody else can go through with you. It's narrow. Narrow is the gate. And, diff and, and difficult is the way. For narrow is the gate. And difficult is the way that leads... I, that verse, doesn't, that don't seem right. Look at verse 14. Move on up. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life. And few there be that find it. So, why do we go to other parts of the world, leaving family and friends, to tell people about Jesus? Why do we have ministries that welcome people in and say, there's hope for you. God loves you. God loves you. There's hope for you. And Jesus has already done for you all that you need to do to be saved and to be set free. Just come to Jesus. Why do we have Luke 4.18? What is it all about? Because we understand that Jesus Christ is the only way for a person to be saved. The only way for their sins to be forgiven. 
The only way for them to be changed on the inside and be different on the outside. It is because we understand who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's why we do what we do. That's why we have missionaries. That's why we have churches. That's why we have ministries. It's all about Jesus. It's not about building our own kingdom. It's not about, no, no. it's all about Jesus. And if you leave Jesus out, you don't have anything. I love the name of our church. You know, a few years ago, in fact, many years ago, I said, Lord, how can you know when Jesus is present somewhere? You see, there's the promised presence of Jesus. That's his promised presence. He said, now where two or three are gathered in my name, that means under the authority of his name, for the glory of his game. Doesn't mean just because you hang a shingle out and says Jesus. Doesn't mean just because you say we're meeting in Jesus' name. Oh, no, 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 no. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, under the authority of my name, for the glory of my name, for the proclamation of my name, for where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be right in the middle of them. That's the promised presence of Jesus. And then there's not only the promised presence of Jesus, there's the awareness of presence of Jesus. The awareness that he is there. Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know that. For in his presence is fullness of joy and, right, and his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's the promised presence of Jesus. And there are times in our life when we are absolutely aware that we are in the presence of the living Christ. And it touches us in our deepest part of our being. And it's like we move out of time into eternity. But however, there's the manifested presence of Jesus. How do I know Jesus is at work in, in the, that ministry? How do I know that Jesus is at work in, in that church? What is the manifested presence of Jesus? Well, he told us exactly what it is. He made it absolutely clear. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Now, I know a church by that name, Luke four eighteen. You know why it's that name? Because this church is all about the manifested presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's more than emotion. It's reality. Jesus came to his hometown. He had just been baptized by John the Baptist. His fame had spread far and wide. So he comes back to Nazareth where he was raised. And he goes into the synagogue that he went as a boy every day on the Sabbath. And so here comes Jesus showing up in the synagogue. And they all say, ooh. You've been hearing about what he did? John the Baptist baptized him. A dove ascended from heaven like, and said, this is my beloved. The Holy Spirit said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. <clears throat> you know, there's, everybody's saying he's the Messiah. All right, it says. So he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Jesus was going to read the scripture that day in the synagogue. And he wrote, read these words. And he was brought the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when Jesus opened the book of the scroll, you know, he found the place, Isaiah 60, 61, where it was written. Listen to what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me, Jesus, to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are beaten down. And then the Bible says, he's called me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now let me stay there for just a moment. Jesus said, when I'm present, the gospel will be preached to the poor. When I'm present, the brokenhearted will be healed. And when I'm present, the captives will be delivered. And when I'm present, the blind will see, whether it's physical healing or spiritual healing. And when I'm present, people that are oppressed and beaten down, he said, I'm going to lift them up out of that pit of where they've been oppressed and beaten down. He said, now that's what's going to happen when I'm there. And he said, I want to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And you go on down, and then he says something that's very important. He said, he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and everybody was looking at Jesus. Boy, he just read something pretty strong there. All the eyes were focused on, the synagogue were focused on him. And then I want you to listen to what he said. He said, he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I'm about to get excited right now, I'm telling you. 2,000 years ago, God raised Jesus from the dead. And now for 2,000 years, hallelujah, he has been preaching the gospel to the poor. He's been healing the brokenhearted. He's been delivering the captives. He's been giving sight to the blind. And he's been lifting up the downtrodden. And I'm telling you what Jesus began 2,000 years ago, he's still doing today in Mobile, Alabama. He has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. they, They say, well, this is a different day and a different culture. That don't make a bit of difference to the Son of God. I tell you that right now. And I tell you, when people are saved and when people's broken hearts are healed and when people who are bound by the yoke, whatever that yoke might be, when they're set free and when when physical healing or spiritual healing comes to a person and when people beaten down by the world and the devil are lifted up, I know one thing. Jesus is in that house. Jesus is in that place. Jesus is in that ministry because that's what Jesus came to do. I just want to say this to you this morning. Jesus wants you to know the gospel today. You see, there there are other gospels out there. There's only one true gospel. And here it is. Jesus Christ loved you so much. When he died on the cross, he took your sins and your sinful nature. He took you to the cross with him. And he died in your place. He paid the full price for your sin. You say, well, I didn't even believe in him. The Bible says, when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies, God reconciled us through the death of his son. The gospel is, Jesus Christ loved you enough to die for your sins, to take you to the cross with him, and put to death your sinful nature, and rose from the dead to live his life in you. And I want to say to you today, on the authority of the word of God, that Jesus Christ can not only forgive you, and he can not only save you, but he can change you, and you don't have to be the person you have been before.
You don't have to be. The devil lies to you. You'll never change. You are a liar. Jesus Christ will change me. Well, you'll, all, you'll go back to what you did. You say you're a liar because I'm a new creation in Christ and greater is he that is in me than the devil that is in the world. I mean, friend, listen, Jesus is not out of business. We need to understand that he's doing what he always did. He's preaching the gospel to the poor. But let me tell you something. He's healing the brokenhearted. Oh, Lord, I've never seen so many broken hearts. There's a broken heart in every home. And there's a broken heart in every pew and in every seat. Oh, my friend, it's something to have a broken heart. Some hearts are broken by rejection. Somebody who should have loved you and should have accepted you and should have encouraged you. They rejected you. And you gave you the idea that you weren't worth anything. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus can heal a heart broken by rejection. You see, and I'm going to tell you another thing. Some people's hearts are broken because of their past. But I'm going to tell you something. Jesus can heal the guilt in your heart. Now, guilt is a dirty wound. And it has to be taken to Jesus. And, G- and we have to say, Jesus, I agree with you that that is sin. I know it's sin, but I repent. I don't want to turn away from it. I don't want to do it anymore. I make a choice, Jesus. I repent, and that means I change my mind, and I receive your forgiveness. And see, let me tell you something. When Jesus Christ comes into your life and saves you, all your guilt is gone. Hallelujah. The shame is gone. The guilt is gone. The shame is gone. Why? Because Jesus has washed your sins away and God does not remember them anymore. So if God doesn't remember them, why do you keep thinking about them? Oh, see, he came to preach the gospel to the poor. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Man, there are so many broken hearts. I remember sitting on an airplane flying from Savannah, Georgia to Mobile, Alabama. I was seated on the outside. I don't like to sit in the middle because if it go down, goes down, I don't want to be able to get out. I wouldn't have a chance. Forget it. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelt. It's going to take more than a seatbelt. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> but I noticed the boy sitting beside me started crying. And just tears. I said, my God, what is this? And so I struck up a conversation with him. He said, well, I've been in Savannah for about a month, spent a month with my daddy. And I'm flying back to Orlando. He's going through Atlanta. I'm, I'm, I'm flying back uh, to Orlando to go to school and spend the school year with my mother. And I said, well, Lord, why, why has he got a broken heart? He didn't want to leave his daddy. He, he didn't want to leave him. But you know, I noticed, I, I followed him off the plane. His mother was there to greet him. She, she was so glad to see him. She put a loved arm around him and loved him. But I'm going to tell you something. I've th- I thought of that young man often. God, you've got to heal his broken heart. Only you can do it. But you can do it. And I, some of you right out here in this congregation, you know what it is. To have a broken heart. I'm going to tell you, you need to take it to Jesus. That's where you need to take it. And it's no incident that he said, I came to heal the broken hearted. And he does. He said, I came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the broken hearted. 
to set at liberty, uh, to, 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 to set the captives free. Hallelujah. You say, that doesn't bother me, Brother Fred. I'm not captive by anything. Really? Well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not, ba- I'm not captive by drugs. Let me ask you, how's your attitude? You may not be on drugs, but you could be on bitterness. Boy, that'll hold you captive. That'll hold you captive. Man, you talk about a tragedy of being bound and being held captive by bitterness. They were witnessing to this lady in, in, in Houston, knowing at Dallas, and they told her how to be saved and how God had forgiven her if she'd just be saved. You mean to tell me that God will forgive me of all my sins? Oh, yes, he will. And just as he forgave you, you forgive others. She said, wait a minute. You mean to tell me if I get saved, I got to forgive so-and-so? They said, yes. You're not going to believe what she said. I don't think she understood what she said. She said, I'll tell you this. I'll die and go to hell before I forgive them. She did, I hope she didn't know what she was saying. But you know, some of you, you may not be bound by drugs or alcohol or sexual addiction, but it's bitterness, unforgiveness, pent-up anger, and, and, and you, just, you, you just can't, it just keeps churning up inside of you. I want you to know Jesus came to deliver you from whatever's got you bound. Whatever it is, listen to me. Jesus Christ will set you free. And I want to just quote what the Bible says. If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. Hallelujah. He came to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to deliver the captives, to give sight to the blind. That means that Jesus is still in the healing business. Well, Brother Fred, why doesn't everybody get healed? I don't know. I'm not God. But I know something. Some people do get healed. You wouldn't be sitting here if they didn't. So what we got to do is believe God to heal somebody when they're sick. We need to pray for them. We need to pray in faith. We need to ask God to touch their bodies. We need to ask God to heal them. And we need to keep praying that way until God tells us otherwise. Well, listen, you know, some of us think that we're going to embarrass God. Let me tell you one thing. God can take care of his reputation. Did you know that? Well, if I pray for them to get healed and they don't get healed, they gonna, God's going to be embarrassed. Baloney. You let him take care of that end. You do what he said. Pray for the sick. Pray for them. Ask God to heal them. Let them be a trophy of the healing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can heal. Give, he gives sight to the blind. And, he, and that, that's spiritual sight too. Because people are blinded unless the gospel shine unto them. Then the last thing is this. He sets at liberty the oppressed. I know what it is to see Jesus preach the gospel to the poor and people get saved. I know what it is to see Jesus heal the brokenhearted. I know what it is for Jesus to set people free, set people free. I'm telling you, it's glorious. It is glorious. And I know what it is for Jesus to physically heal people. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. I love to see it when Jesus takes somebody that the devil's beaten down, the world's beaten down, all their value and worth has been crushed, and they believe the lie that they're not anything or never will be anything. But Jesus comes along, and he begins to let them know how much he loves them, 
And they begin to understand, well, God loves me. Man, don't he know who I am? I just did. He does know who you are. God loves me. And he cares about me. And he came so I wouldn't have to stay in this beaten down, oppressed state. He came to deliver me out of that. And I tell you, it is a joy when the Lord Jesus Christ takes somebody that the world and the flesh and the devil has beaten down and lives them up and gives them hope. Let me tell you a verse that will make a Baptist shout. Listen to this. He said, he took me out of the miry clay. He took, he took me out of a horrible pit. He took me out of the miry clay. He set my foot, feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. <laughs> Woo! Boy, I like that. <laughs> you ever been in a horrible pit? I have. You ever been in the miry clay? It's hard to get out of. But then the Son of God comes. And he lifts you out of the horrible pit and out of the miry clay and puts your feet on a rock and puts a new song in your mouth. Even praise to our God. Listen, I know why people go to other countries. I know why they get involved in ministries in America. Because they know who Jesus is. And they know that everything Jesus did when he rose from the dead, he's still doing today. You know, they told, somebody told me right after I got saved, Jesus is not doing what he always did. But I came on a verse. And I said, well, I think you're wrong. It says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and what? Don't sound like he's changed to me. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, there are a couple of verses that sober me. And I'm going to pray. John 8, 23 and 24. And he said to them, you're from beneath. He said, and I'm from above. The Father sent me. You're of this world. I'm not of this world, Jesus said. Therefore, I said to you, listen to this. You will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That is the most sobering verse. My heavens. To die in my sin. He said, if you don't believe in me. In, in verse um, 31, then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I want to ask you something. Do you need an encounter with Jesus today? Maybe you need your broken heart healed. Maybe God needs to break a yoke that's around your neck. And today Jesus needs to touch you and set you free. It may be that you're the one that he needs to take out of that horrible pit. And out of that miry clay. I want to tell you he's here. And he'll do for you what you need. You can miss a lot of things. But don't miss Jesus. Don't do it. Because he's chasing you. He's chasing you. And he wants you to come to him and be forgiven.